Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Lee, how you been doing? Oh, I've been great, Rick. I've actually been in awe, I would have to say, because I saw a feat done in the animal kingdom this past weekend that still has me in shock and awe as to what happened. And I'm guessing you don't know what I'm talking about. No, Lee, sometimes you throw curves at me. I just gotta I just gotta go with the pitch. <laughs> well, in this case, I'm talking about a horse. And it just so happens that we had the running of the Kentucky Derby, which is the longest ongoing event in the United States. And it was incredible because the horse that won was the biggest long shot. Mm. In the race, he was 80 to 1 odds, and the day before the race, he wasn't even registered to be in the race. A horse canceled and made room for one horse to be in there. The owner paid $30,000 for the horse, and it cost $50,000 just to enter him into (laughs) the Kentucky Derby. And then he won. What an incredible feat and accomplishment to see this horse outrace the two odds-on-money favorites that were winning the race until this guy just came came blazing through. Did did you watch it? I did. And And what what did you witness? I mean, what what did it – was the horse – like weighing back? Or? Yeah, it was It was in, of the 20 horses running in the race, it was in 15th place at the beginning of the race as they went around the first couple of turns. Yeah. And then it just, uh, I, I don't know if something happened or what. <laughs> Spooked. But this horse just <laughs> took off racing, and at 80 to 1 odds, he ended up winning the race. And to me, I've never seen anything like that in my life. It's the biggest upset I've ever seen in sports history. Now, now the fact that it was a late entry, would uh, people be placing bets on horses before he was even entered? I don't know how betting goes. Yeah, no, people would not have been able to bet on the horse until he actually joined the race, which was the day of the race. Is that when most of the bets are placed? I don't know how that works. No, there's a lot of of money that's placed in advance because of it being the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. But it was just... Did, an, now, did you watch it live? I did. And yeah. it was incredible. <laughs> and I was just in shock and awe and thinking about yeah. all those people who love to put $2 down on the biggest long shots in the yeah. race. Right. And, and right. what a great right. $2 bet. Boy, that, and if you just had a couple hundred on that, you'd be all set. <laughs> exactly. Well, and for the man who placed his couple of million dollar bet before the race started and was featured on the show as he bet on absolutely one of the odds on favorite and watched him 
come in second place, not uh-huh. first place. You don't win anything for that. You don't, not if you bet them to win. Yeah. So yeah. it was just, Rick, it was incredible, and it's a sign to me that you never know what an animal, what a human being are capable of doing because everyone thinks they know, <laughs> and then a horse comes from 15th place <laughs> and wins the Kentucky Derby. It was amazing. I remember in high school when I was on track and – for some reason, I was always better at the longer the distance, and for some reason, the coach threw me in an 880, or 880 and um, boy, that was embarrassing. I don't care how, how how amazing people are. I have zero capacity to run fast. Mm-hmm. So, so may, maybe maybe lightning struck for that one, but it certainly wouldn't strike for me, that's for sure. No, but it was just, it was an amazing thing, and I'm not someone who that's necessarily great. loves horse yeah. racing, but I'll never forget that race for yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah, so that's cool. It was really neat. So, now Rick, for this week for the show, we've got an interesting program, and the good news for our listeners is that they know the guest really well. <laughs> And the truth is that you're going to be the guest because the topic that we're going to be talking about is something that I can't think of a person in mid-Michigan who knows more on the subject than you do. So, so yeah, Lee, um, this comes up every day at the store, and I think it's, it's, it's a valid, valid topic that people need to uh, – or want to maybe understand and, and, and need to understand. And sometimes they want to hear it. Sometimes they don't. But, you know, what is it that uh, you need to know getting into the fish hobby, you know? And it's not just the fish hobby anymore. There's people that are very passionate just wanting to grow live plants to make this kind of like underwater garden. There's people that want to grow just shrimp. But let's just say the underwater world within your living room, you mm-hmm. know? What, what do you need to know? What are the possibilities? You know, what kind of considerations should you have and, you know, should, are, are you thinking, would you want to have a small tank? Would you want to have a large tank? You know, what's the kind of budget that you should consider? So just that idea of, you know, I've thought about having a fish tank or I used to have a fish tank or I have a fish tank and I, I'm having any problems. I'd like to kind of cover, you know, kind of the, this isn't a rebu- you know, reverse way of saying, you know, what are the potential problems that you can get into the hobby, and how do you prevent that from happening so you can just enjoy it? Well, we're going to have that conversation, and we're going to think about all the questions that you should be asking before, during, and after you get a fish tank this week on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. You're on 1320 WILS. Hey, got some ideas for a show? Questions? Maybe suggestions? Just email us, mmpets at 1320wils.com. Or message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash mmpets. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, uh, as I said earlier in the last segment, there isn't a guest better than you, so I'm just going to ask you a lot of questions because the topic came up. If someone wants to have an aquarium and they just don't know 
what to necessarily contemplate about that. We're going to take them through the decision-making process so that they can understand here are the options and here are things to consider. And once you go ahead with it, here's how you maintain it. So the first question I have to ask you is when it comes to getting an aquarium, I would think the first decision that you have to make is what kind of fish or creatures do you want to keep? Because if you want to have, for example, some big koi fish, then they might need a pond. But if they're looking to have just regular fish uh, or even shrimps, they might want a micro tank or what have you. So let's ask that first question when it comes to the different options for fish. You've got brackish-type fish, you've got saltwater, you've got freshwater, you've got the big fish like kois, you've got the specialty things like you mentioned, like shrimps and uh, possibly going with something small. So what what is the decision-making when it comes to that? You know, if you think about it, it first starts in the back of the mind, hey, I Maybe it was one of those situations where you had your your father had a or your mother had an aquarium when you were growing up, right? What's your vision? Like where where are you coming from as to why you want to have an aquarium? Maybe you discovered that by watching a friend's fish tank, your stress levels went way down. Like it's like, man, I mean just the other day somebody came in and she and and he was just gooing about his tank because he says, you know, I spend more time watching my aquarium than I do the TV. And that's true for some people, right? Mm-hmm. I always, if I if I get impersonal about it, it's always a cost benefit analysis, right? There's going to be cost to it, right? Right. Physical, financial cost, and there's going to be maintenance costs, and so there's going to be benefits, you know, just like relaxation. Like most of the time, you have an aquarium; it's not about work. Most right. of the time, you have an aquarium; it's about sitting down, relaxing, and enjoying it. But if you have a lifestyle, which means you want to have an aquarium, but you never take the time to look at it, there's no benefit. So, you know, part of it's knowing your lifestyle going into this. And then part of it is, I'd say, a trip to the pet store, at least a pet store similar to ours, it should probably be your first visit. And and the reason for that is you need some form of a vision. Like you, you need to kind of get connected with something. And so we try to set up a variety of environments. And then once you get an idea where you want to go, what path you want to go, whether it's a saltwater reef tank or a shrimp tank because, you know, you see how cool they are, then you can always allow the internet to kind of embellish. You know, you can kind of, I do want a shrimp tank. Right. Well, I remember the first decision I made when I got my first first aquarium. I had a 10-gallon tank that I purchased. And I remember still to this day, I had an angelfish, I had two gouramis, I had two tiger barbs, and I had a placostomus in my my 10-gallon tank. And the reason I chose those fish very candidly was because the person at the fish store had explained to me that these are pretty hardy fish. They're probably... You're, you're going to have to work real harm 
uh, or work real hard to do harm to these fish. And that's what I was looking for because I didn't want to stress out about possibly harming these fish. I didn't want to kill them. I wanted, I wanted yeah. them to live. Well, I think, I think the first thing to do is try to get an idea of what you want to be looking at. Um, and what size of tank you want to be looking at? You know, is it a desktop aquarium? Is it something that um, is going to be in the the son or daughter's uh, bedroom? And how much room do you have for that? And what is going to pique their curiosity? What is going to pique your curiosity? And then there's the learning curve of how do I make that 10-gallon aquarium or 20 or 50 work for me? And honestly, I'm less, at least with the support network that we have, I'm less concerned about getting somebody into the hardiest of fish. There are some guardrails up that we tend to put up and, and, and don't race people into some of the more difficult ones to keep. But most of these animals that are at least in captivity do just fine, do just fine, but might have specific requirements. That requirement might be diet. You know, right. they might have some specialized diet. So Getting into those kind of questions and answers with the client that, that's thinking about an aquarium is really important, but I wouldn't go forward with the concern that, you know, I got to make it the hardiest of fish so I don't fail. What I would have as an attitude is, what do I need to learn to be successful? And then know that, you know, there's a lot of information out there now. That, that you that, that you have at your fingertips specifically. And then you have places like ours where you can walk in and literally spend whatever amount of time you want just discovering that idea with people that have actually been experienced doing it. And a good assistant to you in the hobby is going to spend the time necessary to kind of help guide you into things that you should be getting into and maybe trying to kind of avoid what you shouldn't be getting into. Uh, right. We have we have track record, right? We have experience. We have the crossroads. And so getting into the crossroads where people have ex- experience with this idea can give endless reward. Right. Well, after I, I got confidence, I remember thinking to myself that, you know, if I want to add more fish than this, I'm not going to be able to because I had a little 10-gallon. It was, it was crowded. And I remember getting a 20-gallon. Then I remember getting yeah. a 55-gallon yeah, yeah. and up to a 75-gallon when I got into saltwater fish. But bottom line is, each step through the progression, I recall thinking to myself, okay, now that I've got this, I can do more. I can add more fish. I can change the types of fish that I keep, etc. How important is that in terms of being able to do that? Because I imagine once you get fish, you're not going to be patient just keeping the same few fish in the tank, you like to see new and different thing. At least that's how I felt. Is that pretty common? You know, it's a, a little bit of a, sli- a, a, a scale or a, a shading. There are people that get very attached to the fish that they get. They have the time and the commitment and they have the focus and they have the need for a relationship oftentimes, right? They, they sit there and they connect. And they'll do whatever it takes to make sure that that particular animal that they're now connected with, that they want to live continuously for as long as possible, has the best that they can keep. And, and I, I'm pretty, 
impressed and amazed at uh, the percentage of customers that fall in that category. Um, if somebody's losing their fish, there's t- tears that come from their eyes. So I would say that more often than not, they're not necessarily thinking about, boy, I, I want something different. But sometimes they get allured by how fascinating the hobby is and how much they enjoy doing it and how, how, how they enjoy it, just like somebody that has a cat. And it's like, no, I, I want two cats, and then I want three cats, mm-hmm. and I want four. It's not because they're bored with their first cat. No, it's It's just not that, that they're bored with their second cats. It's just they're fascinated with cats, you right. know, and – and to some extent, aquarium keeping can be that way. Now, you kind of pointed towards maybe a little bit different customer that connects with their fish in one way, but connects more with the kind of the the experience of having this display in front of them and the way it's decorated and stuff. And then, you know, I'm kind of bored with that. Let's do something different. And, you know, I, I, uh, I can appreciate that as well that don't get as attached to the fish specifically, but attached to the hobby of doing this thing. Um, Not saying that they don't have some of the same enjoyable connection with the fish and the creatures and the environment as others, but they do look at it differently. And, um, you know, some people, it can be reduced down to, hey, you know, I I don't want to have a picture on the wall. I want to have an aquarium because I think an aquarium is cool. And that's a real pretty, you know, it's a moving aquarium, you know, a fish. And they aren't necessarily connected to the the living animals that are in the tank. But that's a that's a real rare one, right? right. Most well, people are connected to the idea of having these fish and providing an environment that they want to live in. And then they kind of allow their imagination along with their exploration into the hobby to kind of be their guide, you know. So – that's where the goal is to, at, at our level, is just to show them different possibilities and different ideas and having different materials to work with, different kinds of rock structures that kind of replicate different environments and woods and, and textures that they can then use. The fabrics, if you will, you know, like going into a fabric shop and you look at all the fabrics that you have available. But oddly enough, you end up focusing in on a particular thing, a particular fabric, a particular bolt you pull out and says, yes, this is what I want my dress to be or my shirt to be. Right. And it's the same way in with the fish aquarium. You're going to connect with it. You're going to connect with certain fish that are in the store. You know, I'm a, when I was a kid, glass cats, which is the fish that you can literally see through, mm-hmm. fascinated the heck out of me. Coolie loaches. Mm-hmm. You know, all fish that will work well in a smaller tank. Right. Um, and upside down catfish. You know, just the peculiar nature of those characters really fascinated me. Right. But everybody's different. You know, everybody's going to come in there. They're going to see different things that they are attracted to. Our job is just to say, okay, if this is the avenue you want to go down, let's be a little bit cautious and careful, mostly just intelligent or informed on how we go about doing that. And that's another thing I'd like to get into today is just what do you need to do? What's, what's the tripwires? You know, what, what, what will make you stumble that you wish you hadn't? And the reason it's so important, I always think about this. Every one of these animals that go home, they're, they're animals. They're, they've got blood circulating through their body. They're, they're moving around. They're, they're seeing their environment. They're engaging in their environment. They're, they're, they're having their life, right? right? And it only happens if we do the right things. No, they're, right? they're smart they, creatures. Yeah, and, and, and we have to do the right things 
what can happen, which is why I want this to be the topic today, is that people oftentimes get into the hobby not realizing that maybe chemistry needs to be a little bit more of a topic so you understand if nothing else, to add a dechlorinator to the water. Like, well, let's talk to, about that <clears throat> chemistry because the the fact is once you buy an aquarium and you have the materials that need to go into it, a lot of people think, oh, I could just put a hose in and pour some water in and we'll be all set. But Water is a real important ingredient when it comes to an aquarium. Uh, get us started on that, and then we'll take a break and come back to it after the break. Yeah, so what we have to remember is that unlike a stream out in the wild, you know, water is not passing through continuously, right? So we're going to have to create the ecology that these creatures need within this boxed walls. That might mean some partial water changes to get some fresh water in there. That might be, you know, special filtration, maybe growing some plants to kind of purify things. But if you do those kind of things, and we want to talk about that, and we do it to set up the right ecology, we can be very, very successful. Um, but uh, just let's talk about that. Well, we will. We're talking this morning about getting your first aquarium set up and going uh, with our guest and co-host, Rick Pruse. And we'll be back right after the break on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, 1320 WILS. Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen had to step out to go water some fire hydrants. But they're back now on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning about setting up an aquarium uh, in your home. And Rick, we were talking just before the break about the water chemistry that it takes in order to create a great living environment for the fish that you have. Uh, what other thoughts are there that you have on that subject? Yeah. So two things. One is, you know, what is the basic water chemistry that comes out of your tap and how similar or how substantially different is it than what the specific fish that are swimming around our tanks needs, right? And that's that's one thing we can talk about. The bigger one, once we figure it out, you know, what fish can live within the water you have. Nobody has any water at home for which we don't have plenty of varieties of fish that they can live in. But all of them have the same potential concern that I, I need to bring up. Um, you remember when you first rode a bike, right? I do. Long time ago. I do. I remember the training wheels. You remember how anxious it was? Maybe even overwhelming? Well, can I ever do this? You know, will this ever work? This has got to be difficult to a young person that's seven years old or whatever age it is that you learn to ride a bike. It could be almost daunting. And now, if I get on a bike... Or for the years after the first month or two of figuring this out, it was like, no sweat. I understand. I get it. I move around. I, I, I have balance. I have breaks. I, I, I have confidence. And with an aquarium, what we need to do is set up nature. We need to set up nature in a box. And the difference between a new tank and one that has been established for maybe two or three months is that it takes time to set up that ecology. You know, it takes time, like when you're trying to ride a bike, it takes time to figure out balance and, and, and 
and the ability to move forward and feeling How like you're not going to gonna wreck. Right, right. Well, in, a, in an aquarium, we are kind of, it's less about us and more about the environment, the ecology, but it takes time for that ecology to set up. You can't have everything from the day you put water in the tank. You need to put water in that's safe. So most people that live in the city need to add a dechlorinator. You need to know that it's compatible with the fish you keep. That, but then beyond that, what matters when the fish go in there is that the fish are going to pollute the environment. The fish are going to poop in the water. And um, that's not a big deal for nature once nature's there. And I say nature, it's an ecology, you know, an environment that sets up. And what sets up? What What's the network that sets up? Well, there's going to be bacterias that come to the rescue. The moment the fish craps in the water, there are bacterias on that crap that are going to continue to break that down. Just like if you threw salmon on the countertop, it's going to eventually be a puddle of juice. It's not going to look anything like a salmon because Mm -hmm. bacteria is going to break that down into a smelly mess, but it'll eventually get rid of that. And in nature, in an aquarium, the same rules apply. There's going to be bacteria first on the excrement that can break it down. What tends to be the stumbling block that people need to know about is that the bacterias that break down ammonia that all that crap is breaking down into aren't in large populations and don't come equipped on the crap in any great amount. They're mainly just focused on breaking down the organic debris that shows up. I mean, it's just nature, right? In one one millionth of a gram of excrement, there's over a million bacteria all ready to break it down. And yet the tank itself will then accumulate ammonia in the water. So we can actually test for this ammonia and it shows up on the test kit. And um, not to be an alarmist, but five parts per million to 10 parts per million of ammonia can kill fish. Just five to 10 parts per million can kill fish. So you'd say, man, that'd be an impossible feat, wouldn't it? They're producing ammonia on a regular basis with all this excrement that's dropping into the tank or the fish food that's falling apart and breaking into ammonia. But the good news is that bacteria and nature is so complete that what will happen is there will be enough bacteria that colonizes the entire aquarium specifically focused at breaking down ammonia that we will test the ammonia six weeks in. And from there on out, we can't find any detectable ammonia. It's below one part per million. It's below 0.5 part per million, right? And it's very, very low. We might detect a small little blip. Maybe the fish just happened to all poop at once before they pulled the water sample out of the tank to bring it into the store. But it's going to be really, really low. And there's another chemical related to that. The bacteria that set up to break down ammonia, they produce nitrites. And all you need to know as a hobbyist is patience, really, caution, patience. But what you might want to know is kind of like an inquisitive mind Nitrites are also harmful, just like ammonia. The reason we're focusing on ammonia and nitrite, among other things that are produced within the tank, is those are the two things, the ammonia and the related chemical nitrite, are the two things that for the first six weeks can kind of show their ugly head and at least stress the fish and and can kill them. Like I said, five to ten parts per million for either one of those can can result in dead fish. And and even three to five parts per million is going to provide stress for those fish, and they're going to have a rough time. And these fish that you're getting are the first fish in the aquarium, and you have to bring them in there. So you want to have the least amount of stress possible. So luckily, in today's fish market, we actually have bacteria that you can go home with 
that specifically focuses on breaking down the ammonia and setting up the ecology that you need uh, due to great science. Um, so in the past, when you had your 10-gallon tank a long time ago, what, what we tended to focus on is a six-week six process. And now that's been reduced down to maybe two or three weeks. We used to be focused a lot more on making sure they fully appreciated that cycle process. Now it's kind of like, okay, you know, some customers we might get into the full detail. Others we might just say, hey, here's the timeline you need to do and try to give them at least a few reasons why and then sell them the bacteria to get them set up. But when you first set up an aquarium, it's important to have a relatively light fish load, Mm -hmm. adding the bacteria, and then one that's really critical that oftentimes doesn't get covered, that ammonia is coming from the fish excrement. The fish excrement is coming from the fish food, right? So ultimately, it's not the excrement that's the problem. It's the fish food. It's the fish food you're putting in. Right. So you're going to want to have a limited amount of fish, and then you're going to be feeding very strategically. And I strongly suggest when you come in, ask how to properly feed. It's the responsibility of my staff members to kind of catch that and actually tell you because not all customers are going to know that they need to be careful. In fact, other than those people that are listening here today, almost nobody knows that they have to be careful and can be strategic in how they feed their fish. Right. Now, Rick, in addition to getting the water right in a fish tank, the other ingredients at first that you have to think about are the aeration. What Do I need an aerator or don't I? Do I need a filter system for my fish and a lighting system for my fish? Talk about those three ingredients because they're also an important part of creating that right atmosphere for the fish to be able to do well. Yeah, and I, what I don't like to be is very like you need to add this type of filter or that type of filter or this type of light. No, but it's, what other considerations? What it, no, but what, what I do get into is what do you want to accomplish, right? The, what do the fish need? What do the plants need? Right. The fish are going to want to make sure that the environment is free of ammonia. We talked about bacteria. Well, many filters are designed properly so that there's lots of materials included in the filter that help expand the, the ability to grow those bacteria on more and more surfaces. One thing I didn't mention is the bacteria that we're talking about that we need to be patient for actually grow and prosper on surfaces of things. So when we look at filtration, does the system you're setting up have enough biological filtration? It might be as simple as what's called a sponge filter, or it might be as elaborate as something like a canister filter. It depends on your circumstances, how many fish you're going to have, how much maintenance you want to have, uh, those type of things. Lighting, it's pretty straightforward. You know, if you put a lot of light on the tank, you're going to have nutrients to develop. We didn't talk about that, but as you produce ammonia, you then produce nitrites. Well, the reason we don't have ammonia or nitrites is then you produce nitrates. Nitrates is a great fertilizer for live plants. It's also a great fertilizer for algae. Uh, phosphates come from the fish food. So the very ingredients that would cause algae problems or prospering plants, those are all light dependent. So some people that don't want to have live plants and don't want to have a lot of algae may not want to get a lot of light on their tank in order to pull that off. If you want a bright tank that really has beautiful plants, then you're going to want to have good, strong light, and then you're going to want to grow plants, and you're going to want to do what's necessary to make those things happen. Well, when it comes to that whole system, uh, obviously there are considerations 
to the whole thing in terms of what you want it to look like and when are you going to look because again the lights are going to be pretty helpful at night if that's what you happen to spend your time yeah looking yeah. at the tank so well, why don't we get into that because i'd like to kind of talk about uh you know maybe the the view of the aquarium and what you really want to pull off because that's really what's sitting in your living room is do you like the looks of it or do you not like the looks of it? Right. Well, let's take one more break, and then we'll come back and finish up. We're talking with Rick Pruce about getting your perfect fish tank going, uh, especially if it's your first time, right here on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILF. Whoever said the dogs won't chase parked cars never met Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. They're back on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. 1320 WILS. Back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning about setting up your aquarium if you choose to do that, and we're talking with the master at that subject, Rick Bruce. Uh, Rick, we were talking before the break about how you want to get this whole thing set up, the filtration, the lighting issue with all that. What about the aeration in the tank? How important is that or is that not when it comes to that whole thing? Well, fish have to breathe, right? There has to be the appropriate oxygen level in the water carrying capacity. In some systems, when we set up a filter system, it's just naturally going to be that way because we're, especially in like a reef tank, I've never thrown an air stone in a reef tank for you know, a good long time because the kind of infrastructure we set up for a reef tank, you're going to have maybe compared to the kind of circulation you would have in a freshwater tank, you may have anywhere from five to ten times the amount of circulation in that tank to emulate the environment for which these creatures want to live in. And there's going to be plenty of oxygen, therefore, kind of carried into the water. In freshwater, there's nothing wrong with throwing an airstone in there, especially if you're not doing live plants. Sometimes it's discouraged to do aeration at least during the daytime because you're driving off some of the CO2 that the plants are going to prosper from. And they are producing the oxygen that the fish need. So there's no need for aeration in a planted aquarium where you have lots of vibrant plant growth. And at the flip side, you're not helping the plants do their thing. So what we'll oftentimes do for a planted aquarium is if they do have an aerator, and it's commonly not necessary, but it's not a bad idea to have it, we might uh, have it on a timer. And when the lights go out, the aerator goes on. Right. Right? Uh, but but other than that, uh, let's say you want to have, you know, your, a lot of times these tanks get set up for children. Right. Right. You remember the action ornaments? Mm-hmm. So air can drive, you know, little spaceships. Uh, they can drive castles with the drawbridge. They can ra- gr- right. drive skeletons going back and forth. Yeah, All the things that design. can, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you'll, a kid's into dinosaurs. A kid's into fish tanks. A kid's into whatever. Once they get into those passions, you, you're you trying to help them along kind of their their little journey in life. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more fascinating than to have a kid get so, you know, really freaking interested in their aquarium and having things like, well, can I have that in there? Can I have that? You know, yeah, you can have that skeleton going back and forth just because that's going to entertain them for who knows how much time, you know? So, so yeah, so an aeration and circulation, 
they just need to have oxygen. Right. Now, one of the other things that I haven't mentioned yet, but it's also very important, is water temperature. Because we talked about the chemistry of it, but it's also the temperature because most fish live in a certain range of temperature. So you have to have a heater or something in your tank in order to be able to facilitate that. Well, true. One of the things that is, you know, for a couple, three different reasons, um, we are in what's referred to commonly as a tropical fish hobby. Tropical. Now, a goldfish or koi, they're not tropical. We still bunch them in there, and they don't need the heater that you're referring to. You probably don't have koi indoors, but you might have goldfish indoors, and they wouldn't need a heater, but they're not going to be harmed by it. But most of the fish that we're working with are tropical, which simply means that they're being collected a bit closer to the equator than we are. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because you set your thermostat at like 72. And if you have fish that want to be at 61, how are you going to do that? It's a lot more expensive to create a cooler environment than it is to keep a warmer environment. Mm-hmm. Plus, it just happens to be tropical fish. Maybe I don't know for sure. I, I'm not the ecologist that can tell you this. But, you know, you tend to have a bit more diversity and you'd have some particularly very spectacular varieties of animals that happen to live in more tropical paradise. You know, probably you got a lot more vibrant life because of the warmth. You've got a lot more growth. You think of the Amazon forest and the diversity of life forms are great so that selection of animals are fantastic. So you have things like cardinal tetras that are bright red neon, uh, bright red glowing and bright blue neon that just, you know, and you get a tribe of 25 of those passing across the four foot span of your tank. It's gorgeous and it's relaxing and it's, and it's, uh, but they like 78 degrees, don't they? So getting back to the temperature, we're, we're going to put a heater in there. Now some, you know, the hobby has gotten to the point where it's at different levels. You know, it's just like when you want to go out and get something to play music. You can either get a, something that just you plug in and it's a radio, it's a little stereo system, it's got its own little things, it does its thing, or you can do the whole big thing. Right. You know, with all the, the Bose, Bose uh, right. recorders. And they make heaters now that you plug in, it's just always, always 78 degrees. Well, I'm okay with that for most fish. But the problem is, is that if you have fish that would like it a bit warmer, I'd rather buy a heater that actually can be adjusted and right. raised up. So for the most part, 78 degrees probably is a good magic number. There's plenty of fish that can do just fine at 74, 76. There are a few fish, like I'm thinking discus, mm-hmm. that tend to appreciate. And, and now discus are these plate size fish with vibrant colors, and they look just like a plate, yeah. right? They're just they look flat. like silver dollars almost. Well, they look, no, much bigger than that. They're the size of a plate as full adults, or right. near, nearly the size of a plate, with threading of fluorescent might have fluorescent turquoise through the bodies or might just have this glowing red color across right. the whole body. When you see a, an adult, adult discus, you're like, your, your jaw drops. Right. But in order to keep them and keep them healthy, they like to be in the plus 80s. You know, 82 is a low temperature for a discus. Wow. So depending on where they're coming from and depending on their vulnerabilities, um, you know, some fish that come from the waters that the discus come from can tolerate cooler temperatures. But for some reason... The discus specifically, then they tend to appreciate this warmer temperature that tends to do them 
do them better. Right. Um, now, Rick, we've talked about all of the ingredients that go into it. And obviously there's a, a few little things like the gravel and the decor and all of that that you put in the tank. But let me ask you what I would consider to be the tough question, which is that if I've got a limited budget to spend on setting up this fish tank, where am I going to be best off indulging? Is it to get the best fish? Is it to get the coolest lighting? Is it to get the biggest tank? Is it, I mean, is if there's an area that if you overspend, you'll be really happy as a result of doing it, where would that be? Because that, to me, seems like the hardest decision to make. Hmm. What's well, up? I'm not quite sure in the way you frame that question how to answer that. Um, the I, I think honestly, it always boils down to what's your goal getting into this. Okay, you know what are you going to want to watch? What's what's going to make you happy? If it's a planted aquarium, there's low budget, easy ways of doing it, but you're not going to do it without appropriate lighting, right? right? Um, if you're if it's going to be a tank for just to enjoy and you don't want to get into plant gro- plants growing at all, you just want to keep it as simple as possible, you know, then maybe it's just finding out what types of fish that you want and deciding what size tank you need for that. And you might need to put more money into a tank because you want fish that are going to get bigger. Or you might have a budget in mind. I want to get into this hobby, but I don't want to spend any more than $300. Well, that can be dictating, you know, as to what you can actually accomplish. And so that has to kind of be factored into it first before you decide where you want to go with this hobby because and and then we actually can expand that out a little bit as far as possibilities and prospects we sell a lot of used equipment we recycle that in people want to grow to the bigger tanks like you did right, right. and oftentimes don't want to keep the smaller tanks right so what do they do they 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 either put it in the garage they put it in the basement maybe they try selling it or they bring it in and we just give them some credit for that towards their larger tank setup. Gotcha. Or they're deciding to get out of the hobby and they want to bring that in. And so for you, if you want to get into the hobby, you you can literally um, pick something up for, you know, 50% or even less the price that you would to get something new. Well, it sounds like, Rick, we're about out of time for this week's show. But if I have advice for anyone considering uh, setting up an aquarium, it's to get into a store like Bruce Bats and have a conversation with the people who work there to learn exactly what you're trying to accomplish and they'll give you the steps, and uh, I just think that's the right plan. But unfortunately for today, that's all we have time for. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, and Rick Pruce, usually my co-host, but my guest this week, this is Lee Cohen, wishing all of you a great weekend and a great weekend. We'll talk again next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. In the meantime, will you all please, please take good care of your pets and have a great week. Like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com forward slash MM Pets. Upload your pet's picture or check out the silly pet photos that we put up there to get you through your day.